The Deal with Yield is a podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. Tune in to episodes on iTunes and thedealwithyield.com. Welcome to The Deal with Yield with our host, Joel Whipperforth, Director of eBusiness for Winfield United. Joining us on the phone today is Craig Hewen, RS and Data Innovation Lead at Sunrise Cooperative in Fremont, Ohio. Craig, with all the new emerging tech out there, how do you figure out which ones actually benefit your farmer customers? Well, that's a good question. I haven't quite figured all of that out. Like you said, there's a lot that are coming down, and we need to take them seriously. So what the thing I look for is, is how easy is it to understand? Uh, if I push a button, do I understand why I'm pushing that button? And do I understand the information that I'm getting when I push that button? So it, it's got to be user-friendly. And I look at it for myself. I could be pretty tolerant to a lot of not necessarily bad design, but design that's in the early stages that might be glitchy or, or might have some issues with it. And I've been known to let people know when there's a problem. And just because my motto is programmers are not the ones using it in the field to the point that it's going to break. They're going to know what it should look like at the end, but you know, it doesn't always happen that way. I push my buttons in a different order than the programmer would. So I want to make sure that they understand what the problems are and they can fix them. And then hopefully down the road, they've got a very good product that can withstand a lot of different people using it. So, But I, I look at it first and foremost, the simplicity of the tool making sure that it's understood, and then being able to use that data uh, in multiple platforms. So can I export it out and put it into our GIS software, or can I dump it into a spreadsheet and do some deeper analysis? Is it understood? Are the pictures clear? If it's a scouting app, can my intern grab hold of it and understand it quickly enough that they're not calling me five times a day just to understand how to save a file? So it's got to be simplistic. It's got to be ready to use for our growers in the field, and it's got to be transferable. So those are my big three points that I try to shoot for whenever I look at something new. Data quality is critical, and also the reputation of that company that comes to us. Winfield United has a great relationship with Sunrise Cooperative. We've gone back for quite some time. I've used the R7 tool and all the new components that came along as soon as they come out. So I've been known to test a lot of them and work with them closely. So that level of engagement that we have is important. And that goes with any company that comes to us as a cooperative to test them. And we want to make sure it's a reputable company and they've got good support and the data quality coming out of there is worthwhile. So you talked about your testing, and I think actually you were one of the first pilots for R7 as that piece came out, right? Do I recall that correctly? I've worked with it for a long time, yeah. I can't remember back that far, to be honest with you. I was one of the first to use the field monitoring tool and also the field forecasting. And R7, I think I was one of the early birds to get on that particular flight, yeah. What have you used a field monitoring tool for where we get this daily or sub-weekly low-resolution satellite image and can tell us Mm -hmm. if our fields are trending up or trending down? How have you guys used that, and do you use it just as a retailer, or do growers see that as well? Uh, We have growers that use it, and there's a few that are using it. I wouldn't say it's widespread. We use it within the retailer sector to kind of know what's going on, you know, what areas we need to address uh, and I say area as far as geographic region. So, you know, when I log into R7 tool and I click on the field monitoring tool, I see all the growers within my trade area. And 
I can see which areas have a higher vigor score or low vigor score. And depending on what time of year it is, is what drives me to what's most important. So if it's this time of year and I start to have a lot of fields that have a high vigor status in relation to their contemporary fields, then pretty good possibility I got some fall annuals out there that I really need to pay attention to or winter annuals that I need to pay attention to. So that this time of year, I'm looking for that black number as my problem area. And also same in early spring. You could start to see some green up early. And if it's the field that's supposed to be bare and I'm starting to get pretty good NDVI scores out there in, in April, then I've got some things coming green that they shouldn't be. And then in the middle of summertime, I'm looking for the red. I want to know what fields have a bigger status that's below average. And I want to see what's going on. So that's one way I look at is a scouting aid to kind of tell me where I need to go pay attention to. But the other area I look at is the historical NEVI, the year over year. So I could see this year that our corn crop is looking really good. It, visually, it looks exceptional. And uh, I saw that all the way back in June. And I can see how it's trending versus the previous corn crops. Is it really doing better than what it did in 2016 or 2014? And as the year carries out, then I can see that my NDVI trend line for 2018 was really good. So now I could start looking at, you know, how much better is it and go out and do some scouting and do some early yield estimates. And, and maybe I could look at it from a marketing perspective and say, you know, I've got a possibility of a better crop. I want to make sure I'm marketing well and making sure I capture that opportunity for some additional profit through my marketing. So I'm not going to guarantee yield, but I'm going to know for certain that 2018 is looking better than 2016 or 2014. I know what those bushels were. So I can make sure that I'm a little bit closer to those yields when I look at a marketing plan. So there's a lot of different ways to use a tool like that. It is pretty simple to look at, I and mean, it's not something that you're going to spend a half hour at a time looking at, but it's just a quick hit. And if you do need to dive in deeper into the subfield level, you can do that. But at least you know where you need to look, and you can really be more efficient with your time on the software by utilizing a tool like that. So I appreciate the transparency there and how you're using that tool. When you hit on the in-season management portion, obviously – being able to predict yield, you've kind of said that a couple times, growers not necessarily knowing, you know, geez, am I going to get at least what I've got last year? Should I make any adjustments in season? You actually were one of our key partners in piloting the field forecasting tool. Did you have any growers using it this year? How did it turn out? You know, what sort of management decisions did they make with that? Yeah, we had a fair number of fields. I mean, not quite 100 fields that were in it. We had quite a few growers that were uh, interested in looking at it again this year. And so we signed those up and this is our fourth season, I believe, working with the field forecasting tool. And, and every year it's been directionally correct. And meaning that, you know, in 2016, we had a really dry summer here and our yields started to suffer. Well, the field forecasting tool had a predicted and a maximum yield that was drastically lower than what we historically had. And growers were a little concerned about that uh, as far as when we first introduced those yield numbers. But as the season progressed, it was matching up pretty close to what the fields were doing. And in 2018, we had a really, really good start to our season. Uh, we had growing degree unit accumulation in the month of May that was off the charts. We had really good rainfall. We did not have to replant this year like we did last year, two or three times. So we had a really, really good start to the season. But the field forecasting tool was not predicting the yields that the growers were expecting. And 
and they kind of challenge us a little bit as to what's going on. So we looked at the model quite a bit, and some of the management predictions that we got as far as running a scenario for a late-season nitrogen application, it didn't have a payoff if we waited after tassel. But if we applied a little bit more nitrogen ahead of tassel, we were going to have a pretty good response. And we had been able to see that in some of the trials that we ran with regard to using the scenarios that we generated out of field forecasting. And we did get some of those responses. So we had some 10 to 15 to 20 bushel yield increases from a a late season nitrogen application that wasn't necessarily as late as what we've gotten used to doing. So it did change up quite a bit this year. And a lot of our growers are starting to see those yields realized. And when I say it's directionally correct, it's doing that every year. So we didn't get the gangbuster yields that we got in 2017 but they were pretty close to 2017 in some parts of our trade area. And other areas that didn't do as well last year are doing exceptionally well this year, and the field forecasting tool predicted those yields you know, fairly closely. The last thing I want is the crop model to be spot on every year because it will create some false sense of security, but at least the direction of the yield predictions is really close to what we're getting when we uh, run the combines through the field. So that's a benefit, and that's something that we could use to help manage our inputs through the growing season. Well, I think that's one of the things that we worked really hard on by fueling field forecasting tool with the answer plot data. We allowed that yield to be dynamic in the season. And I think that's one of the challenges out there as ag technology tools, crop models in particular, try to predict in-season demand for nutrients. They fail to acknowledge that yield is a dynamic creature, that it's going up and down with the recent rainfall, too wet, too hot, too cold, too dry symptoms that are going on out there. And that's one of the things that we dynamically tried to hit. Now, when I watch the weather person on TV, who's also running forms of, of models, I'm at the mercy of you know whether or not I want to believe if they think it's going to rain or if they think it's going to shine on my parade on, on the weekend. Was there ever a point where you were skeptical of one of the decisions in one of the recommendations that the field forecasting tool had made to apply or not apply nitrogen? And then I guess, how did it work out at the end of this season? I wouldn't say I was really skeptical of what the recommendation showed. I was more curious as to why it selected the timing or what was going to happen this season that the timing was drastically different than it was in both 2017 and 2015. Both in 15 and 17, we had post-tassel applications of nitrogen at a really low rate, and I'm talking really low being anywhere from 25 to 35 pounds of N, So 75 pounds of urea that would be spread either through an airplane or a high-clearance machine. Um, You could have used a high-clearance machine with drop nozzles or the uh, Y-drop system, any of that kind of uh, technology. And those two years, we had really good gains off of that pretty low input of nitrogen. But in 2018, it didn't call for any of that. So we were looking at really good yield increases, and I'm talking really good this year, 20 bushel or so, maybe 15, from that rather significant input of nitrogen-free tassel. So I'm talking V10 to V12, and the rates were a lot higher this year than they were in previous years. So the curiosity part was like, what's going on? What's going to happen? And we started to see some stresses as the season progressed. So we had a really hot spell that was dry for about 10 days to two weeks there at the end of June to July 4th. 
And that would happen to be the first wave of tassel for us here in Ohio, and which was about seven to ten days ahead of schedule because the growth that we had in the month of May. So all of our tassels came out earlier this year and happened to be in a timing of, of high heat stress and a dry spell that took place at that time. If the corn tassel July 4th or after, out until about the 15th or so in the state of Ohio of July, we had pretty favorable pollination timing for those fields, and the yield is reflecting that. But then towards the end of July, we had another dry spell, had another hot spell, and created some other challenges with pollination for corn that was in that time frame. So it was really interesting that the way it moved and it really shed some light on, on how we could manage our nutrients and our inputs. And it's not the same static, you know, textbook type answer of year over year, I'm going to do this. And so it really showed us the value in being flexible in your management, creating our game plan early in the spring, knowing that it's not set in stone, and uh, utilizing a model like the field forecasting tool that's dynamic in nature to adjust our game plan through the growing season. So that's really where it helped us or gave us some insight this year. So our responses, like I said earlier, they've been pretty good. Our yields are very solid, and it's a nice occasion to be in when you're in the combines and the growers are satisfied with what's coming off the field in relation to some of the challenges that they were faced with through the summer. The use of it's been helpful for us in, in showing us those insights and the, the need to be flexible in our game plan. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I think it's so hard to, you know, I always kind of joke around, everybody's a good farmer in Excel spreadsheet in January, but until you actually get out there and the season has dealt you a couple cards, you've got to be able to see what those cards are and be able to make adjustments to them. You know, the variance, you keep talking about yields and farmers are satisfied. Craig, you're, you ride in a lot of combines. Your, your team's out there with farmers all the time. And I just love to hear numbers. What is the top end yield? What's the bottom end yield? What's the variance of, of yield between corn and soybeans uh, out in Ohio that you see? All right. I've seen corn as low as 165, and I've seen it as high as 280. And then on soybeans, I've seen as low as 35, and I've seen as high as 85. That's quite a bit of variance. I can definitely tell that for the next season, as the precision ag specialist there, you'll have your work cut out for you in trying to manage the nutrients, the population, and all the variabilities that go on in those crops for the coming year. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. You've been listening to The Deal with Yield with Joel Whipperfirth, Director of eBusiness for Winfield United, and Craig Huyen, Data Innovation and R7 Lead at Sunrise Cooperative. For additional episodes of The Deal with Yield, visit iTunes and thedealwithyield.com 